ladies and gentlemen, we are live on YouTube, 8 o'clock on a Sunday night uh, for this most special of uh, A. Thompson and other disappointment episodes. Um, I suppose as a, a sort of quick introduction, a, a bit of context on uh, how and why we're doing this episode. So um, I've had a few conversations with different people where um, they have said, you know, you do like political comment like comedy and commentary and um i'm sure it's really easy eh, to just sort of endlessly bash the tories and you know spoiler alert it is and it is a lot of fun um but you get you get to the point where people say like you live in a bubble like you are uh you, you're living in this echo chamber and it would do you good to step outside of that and talk to somebody that's coming in from a from a different angle with a different perspective um and i subscribe to that you know i've i've had that that same conversation with like comments on tiktok with my girlfriend with friends of mine who lean to the right they're like you should get a conservative on your show so um i put the word out there um uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, my guest tonight irving anderson uh, kindly agreed to to step forward and 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 give me that perspective um and i suppose just as a sort of extension of of that intro um I suppose one of the things that depresses me about politics in, in the modern era is this sort of inability to sit down and have a mature conversation and just, you know, throw some issues out there and have a grown up way of engaging and, you know, trading thoughts and feelings about these sort of things. So I thought, like, in that spirit, let's sit down tonight, Irving. Let's let's throw some ideas around. Um, so I'm going to start with this one. Why do Tories sacrifice human babies for Satan's glory? <laughs> that's a great contrast one no um, absolutely not i don't believe we do sacrifice <laughs> men are principles no. not men of craziness yes absolutely um no on a serious note thank you so much for for joining me tonight it's um it's uh it's definitely going to take us sort of in a different direction and um all like all joking aside i genuinely do think that people do need to just sort of relearn the art of conversation again. Um, like for me, one of the, I mean, I'm, I'm a talker. I love having a good chat. I love sort of, you know, like throwing philosophies around and, you know, bouncing ideas off people and hearing what they have to say. And um, like what, what industry, what subject is better than politics to be able to do that. And it's just so sad sometimes when, you, you know, you throw an idea out there for a policy or a way that society might be improved to somebody. And then it's shut down on sort of a, like in a tribal kind of way. It's like, oh, you fucking snowflake, you liberal, you lefty. Um, and it, it's like, well, how are we ever going to move forward? How are we ever going to improve things in society and in the country and for you, me, our families and so on, if if every time an idea comes up, then it's it's shut down. Um, so I'm I guess that's a really long winded way of me saying I'm really appreciative for you like, taking the time to, to have a chat with me tonight. Um, so. Um, so, yeah, I guess a, a tiny bit about your background would be good just to give people a little bit of context. You were a political consultant. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that work? So I've spent quite a few years working, uh, I've worked in, uh, in government, I've worked in parliament, uh, I've uh, advised on areas of education and social mobility, and I do a bit of work on equality matters such as disability rights and LGBT, LGBT rights, um, but I've come from a more of a centre-right centre position in my own politics, 
and I hope I would describe myself more of a one nation conservatism or one nation choice might be so perhaps be a more of an old fashioned version sure. of the Conservative Party, but um, still open up to new ideas and new uh, innovations. Um, and as I agree tonight, it's fantastic to be able to have a conversation with you, really, and just agree to disagree, you know, if that ends up being the case. Maybe I'll win you around. Maybe you can try to win me around. Yeah, um, well, I mean, if things go well tonight, Irving, you might see a whole new TikTok account from me tomorrow. <laughs> just flags all over it. And <laughs> Anyway, we won't, we won't go down that route uh, just yet. Um, so, okay, so it sounds like you worked in some, like, reasonably kind of progressive areas of of conservatism right yes yeah um so does it bother you I, I suppose in the same way that the caricatures of a lefty um bother me in the way that things you know ideas might be dismissed off the back of those caricatures does it bother you in a similar way with with the right that you could you know you have this experience you're working on these really admirable areas of policy but then you know somebody like me or somebody else on tiktok or linkedin or whoever um would then package you up as a sort of, you know, St. George cross wearing Nazi or so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, not sure I'll say George uh, cross wearing Nazi, but I think it's fine to say, I mean, I think the point about politics though, it's about being pragmatic. I think when you're young, you want to change the whole world. You have this social ideals and this sense of justice and a sense of empowerment about things should be better and can be better. Sure. I think as you make sure, you become a bit more pragmatic in the set. You can't have everything you want to have. And I think working in politics, you know, you have to learn that actually you can't get everything you want. And because you live in a democracy and you've got a broad range of opinions, you're never going to win the arguments to get everything your own way. And in some ways, that's probably a good thing because you find in life, actually getting everything your own way all the time isn't good for you. And it's good for you to learn hardships and good to learn, to learn lessons and so forth. And I guess from my aspect is I've, focus on what matters to me, what I think is important. And I've been, doing, I've been successful in what I've done in that area, um, mm. where I think, uh, so when I worked, uh, when I first started in Parliament, I had a really hard time being disabled. And uh, there was a real struggle, um, but I was able to actually start a workplace network in Parliament to actually support disabled people, support members, staff members, the system, it became, you know, I always had to get the, all the parties to agree on this, on the issue, issue to support disabled people who work in Parliament. Um, and I think this is the point is, is that there's always common ground. And I think mm. you can find common ground on the left, in the centre, on the right, um, on issues. And I think the way policy should be about is actually arguing individual issues, as you say, mm. and finding a sense of coalition. And where you might disagree with each other on other aspects, uh, so a consensual one was Brexit, you might have, uh, but there might be another factor where you might disagree with one person on Brexit, but the next issue you both agree on and you both work together. And it's learning that sometimes if you don't agree with someone on something, it's absolutely fine. And then actually yeah. building those, you know, being those uh, coalitions and those consensual politics, because that's what makes it all work. And I think in, in life, you have this, you're not always going to agree with everyone you know. So I think it's the same with a political party. I think you know that you're not always going to agree with each other. But along this atmosphere, you can have a debate and you can have a conversation with each other about it and you can learn from each other. That's the important aspect. Yeah. But then that, that sounds like a very sort of idealised version of politics because the, I mean, it may be different for you, like one, because you've worked within the actual world of it, whereas I see it through the lens of a 
news journalist or whatever. Um, but is that your sense? Like, are people having these kind of measured conversations where it's a bit more consultative? It's a bit more like they're negotiating with each other and they're grown up and they're, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. Like, like I'm hoping that we will tonight. But is, is it like that behind the scenes? Because from my perspective, and I suspect from a lot of other people's perspective, it doesn't seem like that at all. It seems like they're just bickering the entire time, trying to point score. And I mean that on both sides. I don't mean that, you know, on the conservative side. I think that there's there's a I think like I said it's got that being pragmatic and I think mm. you know when someone's worked in the system and you work in a job people will actually talk to each other so online people are very defensive and very argumentative because they're behind the screen you put someone actually in a room with each other it's a yeah. very different kettle of fish because you're actually forced to confront the other person so you can't sort of like you know affirmatives and swear words to each other because you know, very quickly, nothing ever happens. You might get a punch to the face. Um, so what you might say behind the screen is very different to what you say in person. Now, I appreciate, though, um, you know, I, I came out, I don't, I'm not from London, I'm actually from the Midlands. Um, and I can see the disconnection people have to politics because we don't teach politics to people in school. So people don't really have an understanding of what's actually happening. Yeah. And then grassroots politics uh, becomes quite tribal as well. So I think people are very entrenched in their views of the world and, you know, it becomes like a, a, a right or wrong. Well, actually, in politics, actually, it's the whole spectrum of it, really. It's like a, a relationship with your partner. Uh, you don't always agree with each other. Um, mm. And sometimes it's been able to put yourself in the other person's thought. I think the thing I find in Parliament works really well is that my experience on the whole is that the majority of people go into politics because they want to make a change. They mm. want to make a difference. But they are a project of their own upbringing and their own experiences. And sometimes different experiences, especially in the organisation, can give back new ideas. They mm. give you their ideas and how to make the world a better place is different to yours. Um, and I think there's more willing to listen to each other. Um, and I think that's probably the problem, the problem with having on the ground. It's very hard to listen to each other because people don't want to have, to have the, the time to invest in those discussions. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, I suppose. The very dry answer, though, that's the problem. Like, I realise what I'm saying is very dry. It's not crazy and, you know, argumentative and so forth. And sometimes we like the argumentative side, but in, internally it's very dry. Um, yeah but but that's good though like why does it why does it have to be salacious and you know soundbite like i who who doesn't want politics to just be more boring again it's sort of like i remember when i was a kid on news shows and stuff <clears throat> you'd always have mps and stuff saying um we need to find a way to get more people engaged in politics and now we've had Brexit and all this division and tribalism and stuff. And I imagine the same people going on the news going, we need to find a way to get people less engaged in politics. Because <laughs> I suppose somebody like me, I mean, I geek out on the news every day. But if I if I had existed 30 years ago, would I be this into politics? I don't know. Like, is it is it an exciting, dangerous time or is it just that? I don't know. Like, it's I, I, I think if I was 40 years old in like 1980 i don't know if i would be this into politics does that make sense yeah yeah no no i, I think i mean as you see each younger generation are more engaged in politics as a younger joke than they were before right. and the argument has always been i think from a tax position is until you start paying taxes and you want to make your money coming through 
you don't really care because yeah. it's going to affect you. So what someone does in Westminster has no impact on your life or your local council. But the second you start paying council tax, you're paying for your bills, you care about what happens to your school kids, food on the table, you don't give a damn because you're thinking, yeah. well, this is my life and they're impacting my life. And then something comes important. And what's interesting though is the, this just goes on to two aspects. I mean, in politics, I think there's two values. There's the economic values and the social values. Yeah. I think economic values, I think, we care more about that aspect um, as we get older because we want to make sure that money is spent correctly. And then when we're young, the social values, you know, so abortion rights, abolition of death penalty, uh, equality of LGBT and disability rights. Um, and what you said to find, though, is, and you said this probably with younger people now, is they're more focused on the social values. So they're much more engaged in that. But they're not actually thinking of the economic values, which you get in the, in the older generation. So... Um, there's still quite a disparity between the two. People don't actually make the two connections. Um, mm. that, you know, it's all great and good about creating these wonderful programs in place, but unless you actually have the money to do it, there's, you know, you can't do anything with it. Yeah, I suppose, like when you're young, you are idealistic, and because you are, you, you, you're more in need of support, I think, from things like you know, free education and a free bus pass and. <clears throat> um i'm trying to think what like what other benefits and yeah like young person's rail cut like discounted stuff so it would it's it's kind of already in your periphery that you should have some level of support from the government and so then when you see other people without that support or you feel you need more support um perhaps there's a mentality there that you start thinking well this isn't right like this should be better this should so you start thinking about ways that the government could make life more comfortable for other people and then when your friend you know matt or jane whisper in your ear that they that the government have blown 20 billion or 40 billion on this test track and trace system or you know they've they've given 12 billion to the dup that they've just magicked out of no like it it i think it irks the younger generations because they're like well hang on a second you just told me that i'm i have to pay for my university because there's no money but now all of a sudden you need 12 billion for for your like to 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 bribe another political party for your Brexit deal, where's that money? You know what I mean. So it's like, I I can it's see. Sheet, isn't it? It's the whole member. <clears throat> it's, it's it's a member on the sheet. It doesn't have any actual value, and your student loan debt has no real value. I mean, this is the problem you've had with the with fiscal responsibility. If that in America, it's very weird because you get the Republicans saying they're fiscally responsible people, but the second they're actually getting the government, they spend all their money. And the second they're in the opposition, they're like, oh, we need to think about the money. Um, yeah. And traditionally, the Conservative Party's work or you know, fiscal responsibility. And what you've seen from the COVID situation, it's, it's, it's actually probably the most socialist government we've ever had in this country, which is ironic right. for a Conservative government. Yeah. Uh, you see with the Ferdo scheme, you see with the extra money for the track and trade, you see extra resources in place for businesses and so forth, which you never would have had. So it's a, no. it, there's a, there's a, the, the policies have become quite weird in the last two years really and it's it's not what you're used to seeing as well and i think that sort of caught people off guard yeah i, I was just going to say i it, it's kind of like a sort of paradoxical period at the moment like the the example that you touched on was um the the current tory government uh ex, like employing what you would consider to be typically socialist uh policies right so you mentioned furlough and yeah like 
like billions being thrown at the country to support it in a really difficult time. Um, a friend of mine, also a, a conservative voter, has said that he, as far as he's concerned, this is the most progressive liberal government that we've had in, you know, like, well, maybe since. I, I can't remember if he said that he was like he considered Boris to be more liberal than Blair. If he was saying like he's left of Blair or something. But some, somebody's definitely said that to me. Um, and then on the flip side. He's a man of a conservative party. Say again. He's the most liberal leader of a conservative party I've ever had. <clears throat> but then would you see him as, would you would you see Boris Johnson as left of Blair? Because that's what caught my ear when. No, because Blair was a social democrat. There's a difference. Uh, so Boris is more of a liberal, so he's more of a, a, a centre centre right. But in Irish terms, Blair was a, was a, a social democrat, so he was socialist, but with democratic ideals. Right. And um, he was much more willing to go to the far left, wearing a Boris. There's still limitations for him as an individual and his ideology for him to go that far, which you've seen the reflection in, which is a disappointment, as you've seen, in the education budget of only giving the, you know, not the full amount that we need to get young people to catch up with, with the loss of education they have because they are our future. Yeah. And so forth. And it's a real frustration side you see from people where you're not actually funding um, that aspect of young people because it matters. Yeah. Um, and it affects everyone as well. It, it's, it's not in the country benefits to have a population that doesn't have good education because if, you, if they don't have the skills to support themselves, then how can they help themselves later in life? You still need to create a platform and a benchmark for them. If I, if I really had my tinfoil hat on, I would say, isn't it in their interest to keep people really uneducated? Because... I'm not saying that conservative voters are uneducated. Clearly, a lot of them are educated. But I wonder if, uh, and I won't, I wouldn't expect you to get on board with this because, you know, it's, I can't imagine you bad mouthing the current uh, conservative government. But my take, my my sense on the the electorate as it is at the moment is there's a lot of flag waving. Um, uneducated types who got on board with Brexit and they see Boris Johnson as Mr. Brexit. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I, I know how up my own ass this sounds, but I wonder if by ensuring that the next generation are not educated to the highest standard, maybe it might pay dividends a bit further down the line when they next wheel out a load of statues to get angry about and they next start dishing out I, flags with Emperor Boris on them and... You know, I know that sounds a bit tinfoil hat, but I, I think that's I think there's two issues there. I mean, you're, you're trying to link education and Brexit. Now, Brexit's a very separate thing. So, for, for your viewers, I mean, I vote Remain, and but once we had the vote, mm. we you know both political parties, both Labour and the Conservatives, said we're going to respect the vote. We're going to move forward, and at that point, we should have just said, okay, both parties agreed that position. And that's what I'm doing. The problem you had then, you had a parliament that went for the longest period of parliament since the Civil War mm. of the 1600s, where you, there was the lame taxes, there was conversations, and nothing actually happened. Mm. And I think you've got people really engaged. All they saw was this sort of ping-pong process, and nothing actually happened. So there's a huge frustration of people. And I know people go, well, you know, I, you know there's some lies research here, and people said this, and this shouldn't happen. And it's like, well, that was lovely, but 
you know, during the 2016 uh, thing, none of these people were around, and none of these voices were around because there was this assumption that they're going to win, so why bother? And then mm. suddenly it was like, oh my God, we left it too late. And it was like, well, we did. But you can't backtrack on that. So that's a separate issue. Uh, I think on the occasion thing, I, th- I think it's, it's their time to be fiscally responsible with the budget and have, you know, in normal times, a 1.5 billion, 2 billion increase would be amazing. Mm. I think the problem is, though, that you've, you've, you've told the public you're going to spend all this money on track and trace, on the vaccine programmes, but then when it comes to vacation, you're going to go back to being fiscally responsible, but actually not recognise that the current mandate is real important. Mm. And you've had issues, as you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of conservatives will say this, is that there is an issue about the contracts that you're giving PPE to head fresh companies promising, you know, and there was a, there was a sense of urgency um, and so forth. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the priorities. And at the end of the day, it's about giving people the skills to help themselves. And you're not giving that. But I don't necessarily think it's, 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 a, it's a desire to get people to have vacation. Because there is a desire that if people want to have vacation, people will go into politics, like I said, to better themselves mm. and better other people around them, to better society. Um, do you think it's also a politics. Do you think it's also a power thing? Do you think people What's love... that? In what way? Well, like, why would you go into politics? If you like, I, I, I'd like to get on board with, and like, trust me, this is sort of in my left-leaning uh, uh, paradigm. If you, if you like, I'd love to believe, I'd love to be idealistic enough to believe that everyone that gets into politics is trying to make the world a better place. But I think it, I think it comes down to prestige and power for a lot. Like, like one of my big frustrations with with the Conservative Party is that they are the the party of you know, self self responsibility, improving, like work hard, make something of yourself, improve your own luck, which I could sort of get on board with to some extent, and we can come on to that a bit later. Um, but I I I think if I were a card carrying true blue conservative, I would find it incredibly grating to be a member of this party and to be out, you know, canvassing for them as this, you know, work hard, make your own luck, self responsibility. Um, I, but then the people at the top that seem to dominate the party are these like Etonite, Silver Spoon, you know, your Jacob Rees Moggs, your Boris Johnsons, David Camerons, George Osborne's. Like, do you think, does, does that, maybe you can't say this, I don't know, but does that frustrate you? Or does that, like, behind closed doors, away from the cameras, does that grate on people within the Conservative Party as well? Or, or is there something I'm not getting about it? I think, I think, I mean, there's, a, there's the aspect about um, wealthy individuals being politicians. So I think that's something that's actually across the board. Mm. I don't necessarily think that's just a conservative thing. I think that's Labour thing as well. I think what you do want is, is you want uh, politicians who are qualified to do the job, and um, and we and, you know we, and we do focus perhaps on you know, individuals such as that who have quite per- personalities. But actually, if you look at the election result from 2017 and 2019, mm-hmm. you actually saw a huge increase of uh, new generation of MPs who are from more working class backgrounds, um, um, who actually come from more diversity and so forth as well. I mean, the current cabinet is probably the most diverse cabinet we have with black voters 
ever mm. um, that we don't want to acknowledge that. So I think it's 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 rec- and you know and you know you've got a party who've had two female prime ministers with another party. Where, you know, even now, when, if they're thinking of replacing him, they're still thinking, "Well, there's another man called Andy in Manchester. He should replace him." It's like you know, the idea of Lisa or Jess replacing is is not appropriate. So I think in in politics as well, it's it, it's. You, you recognise it's an umbrella. It's a policy it's supposed to be. The Conservative is a, it's a, it's a, it's a tent. And Labour's a tent of ideas of the left and the right. Mm. And I think, like I said before, in politics, it's that compromising. So, yes, you have people up there who aren't always the face of British people. But at the same time, people then get really annoyed because they go, oh, you've got, you know, someone who isn't really qualified, doesn't really know the world. Mm. They've been elected but they say the person that comes from their head. And, you know, when it, when it comes like doctors, you, don't, you want the qualified person in your job. You don't really care where they went to school. You just want to make sure they're qualified and not what they're doing. Um, and that, that can be a difficult process. I think I can see what you're trying to say. Mm. I think in politics, we learn to compromise because I think that, that is life. You can't get everything you want to have. Um, but it's making sure people have the actual means to be successful. So that's making sure they have access to healthcare access to a good education mm. and access to opportunities in life. So everyone has an equality of opportunities. Yeah. You can't have equality of people because not everyone's the same. So not there's no point making equality of people. Yeah, yeah. I could I mean I get on board with like equality of opportunity. I don't think people should just be gifted um uh, I don't know, like, m- like nice shiny things on the basis that somebody else somewhere might have a nice shiny thing. You know, like I I don't I don't think that's going to solve anything for anyone. Um, but equality of opportunity is, is uh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's progress on, on that basis. I suppose the, my point really was that even if you've got this very diverse cabinet <clears throat> and, um, you know, and, and things are getting better, which admittedly they are, you know, if you've got more working class background um, ministers coming up, that, that's great. Um, I just think it's, none of that takes away from this sort of fundamental um uh, mix match of of being a party of self-responsibility and make something of yourself and improve your own situation if it's being headed by people who had their entire lives handed to them like i would i would feel like if i was wheeled out onto andrew marr or you know sophie yeah. ridge or something and somebody said that to me, like, how are you, like, if I, let's say I'm in work, like, Department of Work and Pensions, <clears throat> I'm, I'm Therese Coffey, and I, and I'm wheeled onto Mar, and my new initiative is pretty grueling on some people out there, and they push me back, push back on it a bit, and they said, what they say to me is, well, this is going to really hurt people, so what should they do? And then my response is, well, you know, people need to work hard and improve their situation and you know get down and maybe retrain and all that stuff how am i going to sit there on mar and say that shit when my boss's boss's boss is only in that position because of extreme nepotism <laughs> and and they, they, the fact that they're drenched in privilege it would just i would i'd be like oh i can't do this hand in my resignation you know i think so if you hand in your resignation then how would it change I guess. I mean, I think, I think the issue about policy is that like you recognise there's a change of politicians. Yes, I think in any political party, like even the same Labour Party, a lot of people feel quite detached from the current leader of the Labour Party because mm-hmm. he's got Sir in his name and he lives in North London and, and there's a perception that it's this sort of North London is right, yeah. uh, 
like telling people how, how the world works. I think part of it is, is actually people want to be left alone to live their own lives. And literally mind too much if the person went to a good education or, or come from a background, along they have those opportunities. Mm. Um, I think it's more about, you should always be, I think the problem is, as you said earlier, policy is not boring because we're attacking someone's background and not actually attacking someone's policies. Yeah. Um, and the argument should be, it's actually someone's policy is wrong then you can argue against that and say you know, that it's not, you know, if you're sort of saying, oh, well, the message show is terrible, therefore we're attacking the message show, it's don't buy the message show head off. And I think, um, you know, and then if you start having filter systems where only certain people can be in the same job based on their background, I mean, you're always faulting people as well and saying, oh, you went to a good school, therefore you can't, you can't run this initiative. What you want them to do is make opportunities to make sure people, the, the people from the less people backgrounds get those jobs. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of the things that they happened in the 2010s is they actually did primary elections for candidates. Mm. And you found, actually, instead of having a local party of 200 people deciding the MP for that area, when they did a primary of the local membership, they actually got a much better quality of, of, of candidate coming through. Mm. Uh, the bit that you see in the US, where actually you actually had to fight to get yourself on the ballot, and it's not just given to someone. And I think that is the issue that people want to have more, is... You know, these sort of MPs who are parachuting these seats where they're guaranteed to win because it's a safe seat. They don't actually have to fight for it and then they win. Mm. Where they're trying to write a campaign to get the seat in the first place, that is probably what might make people more, more empowered because they feel like this person's fought to get this seat as opposed to they've just been given to it because they're mates of the prime minister or the party leader, yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like the right move, I think. Um... So, so we, we agree not to go after backgrounds. We agree to equate primaries instead. Yes. That's the that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I'm on the tail end of a uh, a bit of lurgy at the moment, so uh, pardon me. Um, the the other question I wanted to to put to you was, um, and a, a lot of this stuff is coming from you know, my perspective of the left or my perspective of the right, and then sort of reversing it and trying to get your read on if it is the same on like the other side if you if you get me um so i suppose to, to give you my example or my perspective of the labor party over the last few years one of one of the things that frustrated me about it was when when corbyn rose up to the leadership initially i was quite excited by 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 him and by some of his policy ideas and then like right up into uh, that last general election, it, like a lot of the policy ideas were great. And in fact, they actually polled incredibly well. Like when people were asked in the street, what do you think about a national education system? Or what do you think about nationalization of rail or, um, you know, putting members of the workforce up as sort of honorary board members? So there's representation of like the workers at sea level exec kind of discussions. All, all of these ideas polled really well until the people knew that it was a Labour policy. Like, as soon as you attach the name Labour to it or Corbyn to it, people were like, no, 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 no. Immediate turn off. Um, but I was like, I, I loved the policies and I thought, yeah, I can get on board with this. I only really switched off of Corbyn after the, there was the anti-Semitism uh, allegations. Um, I thought they were handled terribly. I thought his leadership just sort of disintegrated. I didn't think he was a very good leader at all. Um, and as time wore on, I just thought this this guy is not going to get this over the line. <laughs> He's like, and then things seemed to go from bad to worse, and it got 
you know, it, a lot of the right-leaning tabloids would refer to it as kind of wokey uh, politics. I would see it more as sort of social justice warrior kind of, like you mentioned, sort of pandering to the Islington kind of uh, metropolitan elite stuff, right? Um, and and I felt like that was the wrong route for them to go, uh, and then they lost the election. Um, and I felt like with with going into that social justice warrior wokey kind of realm uh it made me think especially after the election it made me think where the fuck are the grown-ups like why like whatever happens to having grown up i i keep using the, the words like consultative and measured but they they capture it perfectly i just want someone that can actually have a decent debate they can be grown up about things they they focus on the substance instead of the symbolism um, like where are those individuals on the left? They've all fucking vanished, uh, and instead it was just this sort of caricature, wokey stuff. Um, and I was interested to get your read on if you think something similar, though perhaps more politically successful, has happened on the right. Because my take on the right is that something similar has happened. Um, you know, the 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 measured conservatives like your John Majors and your Amber H Amber Heard Amber, what's her name? Words. Amber Rudd. Uh, I don't know why Amber Heard popped in my head. Um, you know, these, these, it, like your Dominic Greaves, like all of these, even Theresa May, I mean, lover or hater, like to, to, to some extent, she was a, you know, a mature, measured, consultative politician. Um, yeah. Vanished. And now what we have on the right, through my eyes, through my lens, is a lot of flag waving, a lot of obsession over culture war, statue, poppy waving, like, very little substance loads of slogans loads of symbolism um so yeah. in the same quite, quite a lot there to package there There's quite a yeah lot sorry I, I guess and the nuts and the bolts really are i felt like the left collapsed into parody and from my eyes it seems like the right has also collapsed into a parody of itself is is that your perspective yeah. also i guess it, so let's if i go back so there's quite a lot to unpackage there so try and do it in quite easy bunch so the first one is that British politics is supposed to be an umbrella of the left and then on the right. And on the left, it's supposed to be the Social Democrats, which is sort of the Blairites, if you might call them, and the Co-op Party. Mm. And they are a mix of different ideas and some much more left on the other, and then some much more central left, and then some are quite left. And then what you saw is that Ed Miliband, when they reduced the membership fee to a pound and anyone can join, was that actually the socialists then trying to join the Labour Party, who aren't actually Labour at all, they're socialists. They're complete, because Labour is a democratic socialist party, not a socialist party. Mm. In the same way, Hitler was nationalist socialist, and that's completely different and much more to the right than the democratic socialists. And people don't, people mix the terms together. Mm. But if you understand this biology, they're actually three distinct, quite different terminologies. Um, so I think on the left side, you had the situation, and probably Corbyn is, I think he just sort of told him all, all they wanted to hear. So it's like, you know, if you click for me, you're going to get everything given to you. The state's going to pay for everything. We're going to provide everything for you. It's all this wonderful, wishy-washy socialist thing we had in the 1900s. Mm. And it all came, we've had it all before. And unfortunately, what became quite real, like people realised quite quickly on that side, was he couldn't deliver what he was going to give you because it was never possible. And 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 any case of socialism that we've seen around the world have always failed. Um, or any dictatorships where it doesn't become democratic, it actually becomes anti-democratic because they're trying to control it all. Mm. Uh, so we saw on the left side of the party the, the, the selection of Labour MPs. 
um, and you're trying to get rid of anyone who was opposing. So, you know, Corbyn's been a career, mm. been a backbencher. It was this him and his uh, followers, it was his fan base, were like, how dare you criticise him? How dare you criticise our dear leader? And I was like, well, wait a second, you spent a whole career disagreeing with yeah, him. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. In, in government than, than, than some of our Tory MPs did, actually. Thank you very much, Jeremy. So, you know, so it's a running there. Now, the Conservative side, you're right. I think the Conservative side was supposed to be one nation Tories up to sort of neoliberalism, which you saw with the Thatcher rights. Um, and you saw that purge uh, in our party during Boris Johnson period. When he got elected, he actually just got rid of all the one nation Tories, all the Liberal people doing Brexit and then we've got like kids at the party they went all of the memberships you saw like Roy Stewart and stuff all being you know isolated mm. um, and in the House of Lords you still see those one mentioned Tories such as Ken Clark but you lost them in the Commons so mm. what you actually have now is you have a Tory party in some ways it's more populist than, than actually an umbrella terminology of, of different ideas because they purge quite a lot of membership. Mm. Uh, the same with Labour did and this is what you've had. So now you've got the situation where Boris is right, and you must agree with Boris, you're against Boris, you're against Brexit. Yeah. And he's sort of suggesting himself this idea that he is the voice of Brexit. And it's difficult because it became, I mean, Brexit itself became a pantomime. You had Corbyn telling his supporters, I'm against Brexit, whipping his own MPs to vote for it, yeah. um, and telling the public he's going to support Brexit, but then delaying any action on it because, of course, one's the government. And they all just got really pissed off about it because it just became an ongoing snark. Yeah, I remember so that, I think... that period where somebody described Jeremy Corbyn as a Brexiteer pretending to be a Remainer and Theresa May as a Remainer pretending to be a Brexiteer. Yes, yeah. I mean, with fact, to her credit, I think she tried... She was too nice as a Prime Minister. She tried to really nicely to engage everyone and, unfortunately, everyone just took her for a ride. And sometimes you have to be a bit like Thatcher and you have a bit, have a bit more balls and a bit more uh, hardness to you. But of course, the second you, if you're a woman who's strong and you're hard, you then you get called the B word. Yeah. Um, because it's you know, so you can't win that. But on the issue of wokeness and uh, social justice and campaign and cultural campaign, I think the issue is there is wokeness is a pantomime. It's just a pantomime to keep people going and, and all these issues. But counterculture is actually a problem, mm. and you're starting to think now where. People don't want to speak on the subject because they're scared. They're scared of they say the wrong thing, they'll get cancelled and, and so forth. And I'm not going to say some of the subjects they are because, you know, it, you know in this process, because uh, I'll give you an example. Like there's an issue around trans culture, uh, trans. And I think people are worried what they say on that aspect because they're worried about if they say the wrong thing, would they offend people? Um, and then that, and that so it ends up just become a party itself because you get a common debate. And discussion for people. Yeah. So, um, but I, th I think on the parties themselves, I think unfortunately they have moved more to left, more to the right. And what you found is is that most people are in the middle. Mm. Um, Do you think that's sometimes the case? Sometimes mum's right, sometimes dad's right, or if you've got two mums or two dads, and sometimes <laughs> one of them are right and one of them is yeah. wrong. But. And policy isn't about always being right. But do you think do you think most people are still in the centre? Because my my sense is that that politics is definitely like so. Labour went further to the left initially, although I think at the moment they're sort of moving back towards the centre ground. Um, and that the Tories went further to the right. And I'd like to think that most normal people sit somewhere in the centre still. Uh, but I don't know, like maybe maybe my perspective is distorted by internet comment sections, but I feel like people just seem 
rabid and vitriolic on both sides you know yeah although maybe is, um, is it like a psycho psychology thing where if you're the kind of person that's going to leave a comment on an internet video you're probably yeah. already like polarized and radicalized sometimes people can call this being dicks mm. um uh, I, I, I think um, what you have to understand, I mean, the best way to talk in politics is that the average voter cares about the next two weeks of their lives, mm. putting food on the table, and the latest soaps. And it's a very simplistic generalization of, of people. But most people care about themselves, their families, and food on the table. That's what's important to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And I think sometimes people go, oh, why don't they care about an issue that doesn't affect them? Well, why should they? You know, like, you know, people don't. I mean, and you have to, it's like COVID. Eventually, you just have to turn it off because it was on all the time. Mm. And if you didn't have COVID, your family didn't have COVID, you just have to zone out because it's too much. Um, it, it's like this idea that everyone must get involved in every subject is is, is silly. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think, I think when you're young, you, your view on life is that you want the world to be a better place and it's social justice and you want the world to be a better place. And when you're a child, you're, you know, being a conservative is about keeping what conservative what works and changing what doesn't. And as you get older, you don't like change mm. because you're more fixed in your ideas and your ways. So ten, tenably, when you're older, you tend to vote conservatives and so forth. And I think the majority of the working population, because they work and they experience different diversity in, in the workplace, they're more open to new ideas and new discussions because of how their life is. Mm. So I think most people are on the centre. I think, if, but quickly I would say, but on values, economically, most people are quite right. They're quite, like, you know, safe for any day, be careful to finance, don't spend all want. But socially, most people are quite progressive. You know, a lot of you don't, a lot of you don't interfere in their lives. They don't really care. Yeah. So I'm saying, you do whatever you want, happy religion, homosexuality, but don't interfere. Yeah, I think you're right. I think like if I if I speak to my parents' generation, if I ask them anything about you know gay rights or trans rights or anything or um <clears throat> trying to think of some other progressive issues like if, if i asked them if they thought that we should ban abortion i'm sure they'd be like against i think they would sit quite comfortably on the left of uh of anything like that um but yeah you're right i think as 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 we get older we become infinitely more focused on how to attain financial security um and i'm you know like in my 20s i i was foolhardy and uh irresponsible um with with my personal finances and now i'm 40 and it's all i ever think about uh and i assume that at some point i'm going to lean further to the right but i can't ever imagine that the cost of that leaning further to the right in terms of fiscal responsibility would ever be um you know something like being okay with cancelling freedom of movement or getting on board with like basically harpooning asylum seekers out of out of their dinghies like like these these that i suppose that's the disconnect for me and probably a lot of other people that sit on the left is like okay cool fiscal responsibility i'm on board with that self-improvement improving your situation sign me up but the second that a representative of my party that i'm voting for stands up there and then gloats over cancelling freedom of movement and starts talking about putting wave machines in to to sink asylum seeker boats and shit or talking about 
the return of the death penalty, even though all of these studies suggest that it is not a deterrent. It doesn't change anything. All it is is actually a very draconian way of getting bloodlust sorted uh, or, or like decriminalization of drugs, even though all of the studies say that actually decriminalization and treating it like a medical issue, every all of the evidence, all of the facts and everything point towards this is how we should take it. But it just gets swept under the car. Like that for me would be like, I can't ever imagine going, okay, cool. Well, I, I lean right now. So I guess I'll just like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think, I think, um, but it's also about where society is and where perhaps government is. And I think sometimes government is ahead of society Mm -hmm. and sometimes society is ahead of government. So when we legalize abortion or abortion death penalties in this country, Mm -hmm. Uh, or we legalise homosexuality. Um, it wasn't, you know, at the point at that point, society wasn't for it. But sometimes, because we live in a representative democracy, if we always do what the majority wants, the minority will never get what they need, or the support, or the or, or the access. So sometimes, in a democracy where it's representative democracy, the, the government has to make decisions on social issues which would never be in favour of the, of the of the public or the majority. Mm. So I think. Um, you know, and, and so we need to talk about issues about drugs and so forth as well, and decriminalisation. I mean, what you're seeing is is that actually society has moved much more to the left, probably in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. because the studies, uh, the response of other countries such as Portugal, and and and, and uh, the result of that. And then the issues of death penalty, I think it what it is people feel there's a sense of injustice and sense of how long to their terms are, mm-hmm. um, and people resent the idea that someone could kill someone else. Um, and so forth. And I think it's a sense of it's not just much more of a deterrent, but it's more when a crime happened. It's actually, you know, sometimes it happened to be a bit tough. Um, I, I went to university in, in Hull in Yorkshire, and uh, it was quite interesting there. They are much more like, oh no, those people, like, when somebody did something silly, you know, they'd be like, oh no, they're left in a dick, they need a slap across the face. Where, you know, when you, when you go to a middle class borough, like, oh, no, no, no. You, don't, you don't understand their issues. It's all very difficult for them. You, and they're always like, apologising for when they're a dick. Yeah. Sometimes when someone's a dick, you need to, like, be harsh on them. You can't just be this simple, lovey-lovey type thing. I think on a separate issue, though, of, of immigration, what's interesting on that and female movement is COVID's been interesting. Like, we didn't shut down the borders during any, any, any period of the government. Mm. Then we didn't shut down for Brexit. We didn't shut down for COVID. Mm. And, everyone, and then, of course, all the European countries have done it. And there's this real frustrating, and it's on the left and the right. Mm. You speak to people, it's always sort of a united issue, but most people feel quite angry mm. that actually nothing seems to happen. Why haven't you closed the borders? And it's like, what what would close the borders? You know, the pandemic doesn't do it, the Brexit doesn't do it, general life doesn't do it at any point. And to, the problem is, it becomes, that's the issue there. It's never been a left or right issue. It should be... This is a talking point that they use as a distraction. Mm. And what is the real issue? Because you're not going to close it for anything. I mean, if, if aliens invaded tomorrow, would you close the borders and go, well, oh, well, you know, <laughs> we can't do that. At what point do you do it? Yeah. Um, the problem is you're telling people you're going to do something and not do it. It's, it's, I suppose that's a great example of where that is a conversation that needs two grown-ups talking about it. Like why, like, we, okay there's a new variant uh we're high risk for getting it in through ports and uh logistics and yeah like food deli- like getting all of our uh all of our food and supplies from uh from the continent yeah. um what can we do can we shut the bo- 
can we can we shut ports can we shut like stop getting flights in can we yeah um no we can't okay cool well uh why is that well because we get all of our food and service okay well should we have a conversation about why we're so reliant on all of these other countries should we invest in no 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 no. like there would never be a conversation like that because the second that somebody like keir starmer stands up and says what the fuck is going on with the borders then somebody in the Conservative Party will stand up and go, oh, well, you spent all this time and Brexit, Brexit, complaining about, you know, you wanted the borders open. Now the borders are open and, and you're complaining. About, you know, it's like it's really tit for tat, childish can't, toy throwing. I can't think about who you, I can't guess who you're, who you're impersonating now, you? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's it's and I, I think this is I think both the left and the right are guilty of this. This is more a criticism of of uh parliament i guess is like whenever any issue is raised it doesn't seem like it's ever discussed uh in a in a grown-up fashion um in a in a way that you would hope politics with a small p would be thrashed out it always seems to be it always seems to revert to yeah like point scoring just somebody standing at a dispatch box uh asking a, a sensible question and then the person at the other side of it uh, saying, well, you never did anything about this before, but 10 years ago, like, you know, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I've I watched PMQs a few times and I've given up now. I can't watch it anymore because every single question that gets tabled, never any straightforward answer. And I know that's not a new problem for, for, for prime ministers and leaders of opposition, but it's it's so frustrating and demeaning to democracy that this is your opportunity on a weekly basis to throw questions to get information to hold them to account and it doesn't fucking work so pmqs that's a that's an interesting one i think if uh, working in parliament i think it's one of the worst 30 minutes of parliament during any week because actually it's just represent the rest of the time you watch it the rest of the time it's quite civilized mm. It's very normal that they'll have conversation, there'll be debate, there'll be any normal questions. But unfortunately, what gets broadcast is the 30 minutes in PM Kids. That's what people watch. It's almost like the commentary of the football. Like you watch that, but you actually watch, you know, the stuff that goes into it. And I think it's a very frustrating aspect because actually that isn't really representative of Parliament. You watch the rest of Parliament, like I know whether you actually watch BBC Parliament, I mean it's must have like double figures mm. if they're lucky. And when it comes to the Queen's speech, the only people who probably watch the Queen's speech are the people who actually work in politics. <laughs> um, but if you watch it in a normal session, you actually get very sensible conversations, sensible debates. Uh, and the House of Lords is very dry, yeah. because it's dry, it's very boring. Um, Good. And I think it's debates do occur. <laughs> and you see a lot of it, you see it in the select committees, you see it in APBGs, you see it across the board. Yeah. And you, and, and, and you know, you go to your local council meeting, you know, your local councillors will have these proper copies. And that should probably should be knowledge, actually. Your council controls 97% of your entire life. So they, have, they have control of all the budgets that affects your life. I mean, Westminster has very little power over you anyway. Yeah. And uh, you go to council meetings, they actually are quite sensible. They're quite civilised. But the only one that ever got attention ever was that one on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Um, remember last year. So I think the problem is, it's, it's, if the individual needs to spend more time themselves engaging with it, we probably should teach politics more to people so they understand what they're actually watching so they can understand it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think sensible discussion happen. I just don't think it ever happens at PMQs. And I don't really think it's... I think PMQs is almost an opportunity to, to say what you're doing in your constituency and will you get a prime minister or a minister to speak to you on an issue. 
Um, and sometimes it's great for getting information out from government. It's great to get them to acknowledge their policy on something and get them to say, this is what they said, this is their policy on something. Um, as a police, you know, he's terrible. He doesn't answer questions. Look, look when he was among the mayor for eight years, mm. he was very good at, you know, never giving a straight answer, which is very annoying for people. It's... It's almost like Western democracy was already in a in a terrible state before he became prime minister. And, you know, the terms fake news and, you know, biased news get thrown around a lot. And obviously Trump lied habitually. So to then have Johnson arise as prime minister and dodge questions in the way that he does <clears throat> and if, like evades interview requests left, right and centre, right? He only the way he engages with the public is. He'll do a quick, you know, 30 second video and put it on Twitter. Um, so, again, like quite Trump-esque, I suppose. Uh, it's It just feels like exactly the thing that we didn't need. You know, I would have. The sound, the sound bites that come from from uh, from Blair years and the 30 second sound bites and the, and, yeah. and the slogans and so forth. And that's where it's been going. And and, it, and people, it's been going like that for 30 odd years. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I. I I don't think it's a I think things would be in equally a bad way if we'd had a Labour government for the last like 12 years. If if the terms had been reversed, if, it, you know, if yeah. Blair had never happened, if that had been a Tory period and now we were in Labour, I think the the nature of how we consume news now it has a lot to answer for in terms of the kind of politics that we get. I think you're bang on like when they know that most people don't. You know, it's like you said, like most people have lives. Most people have a family that they're worried about, their job. They just want to pay their rent or mortgage and then just crack on, like wake up Monday morning, check their emails, go and check their mum's OK, et cetera, et cetera, come home. And then they've just got they've literally got 30 seconds to flip the news on. They're like, oh, OK, what? oh, he said what? Oh, OK, cool. But that's it. The end. Um, so I guess they know and all of their PR teams know that if they've got that finite window to to make a hit, on the everyday person then it's got to be a quick 15 second soundbite so i get like i but, understand why it is the way that it is but, but... but labor fails in this moment because labor's focused so much on identity politics and making sure that every box is ticked and actually focusing on the actual core issues which is health or education so for example when a nurse's pay rise was one percent mm. um and so forth i mean the problem is health service employees like one in 12 people in this country so even 1% is actually billions of pounds, mm. um, and so forth. Um, the response to that should have been something like, oh, we'll, we'll give 5% pay rise or something. We hear it from us, we'll give you 5%. There was nothing. There was nothing yeah. at all. And it was just always oh, not terrible. And it's like, well, that's nice, but like, what what will you do? And, and it's, this, it's a sense of, you don't actually tell us what you want. Yeah. And I think sometimes as well, when, when you talk to someone, it's one country on the street, and let's say a charity person, you almost want them to tell you straight away, what do you want from me? That I don't want to spend two to three minutes listening to you. I just want to say, you know, oh, I need some money for a bus fare. Or I need some, I need to make a phone call. You know, that's it. I don't want to hear the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's almost just being to the point, which is I think people struggle with in politics. They can't just say what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's like broadly speaking, more, more broad than just, you know, a, a healthcare example. I think that's, probably one of the most valid criticisms of Labour uh, that I've heard is that they don't seem to actually, if they have a vision, they seem to keep it quite close to their chest, right? Uh, so 
I, I was listening to Ian Dale on LBC, uh, uh, must have been two or three years ago, <clears throat> and he was talking about his formula for how he predicts who's going to win an election. Uh, and he said the people that win elections have a positive outlook and a real vision as to what that country can be like in the next five years. Um, and he, he like he, he wheeled out the examples of like Obama and he said that the uh, the referendum result was all about, you know, bringing change and um, and, and a new dawn and, and that sort of thing. And uh, David Cameron uh, winning his first term. Uh, and I think when I when I look at Johnson and I look at his PR campaign at the last election where it's him like bulldozing through with, you know, big Union Jack flags everywhere. You know, and he's always doing a cheeky one-liner on on the news cameras, and you know, it's a positive vision. Whether I subscribe to it or not is out the fucking window. But like, he was presenting Brexit and, uh, you know, the 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 fruits of Brexit and the finalization of Brexit as a a positive thing that would bring us forward. Conversely, Corbyn was more about attacking Johnson, so negative, so you know, tearing things down. And I like I liked a lot of his policies. <clears throat> I thought he was coming from a good place, but it's not the same as having a a really clear three word slogan PR campaign that really yeah. like taps into the zeit the political zeitgeist. Um, and I I still don't get that from Starmer to be to be brutally honest. Well, Labour's in a civil war. I mean I mean I'm going to say you know first of all there's nothing wrong with having a bit of pride in your own country and. You know, actually, the Britain has done a lot of great things to the world. It's not perfect. No country is perfect. But there's a lot of things about Britain that's great. Um, and, you know, actually, it, it's, it's very good at helping people around the world. It's, it's fantastic in its development. So the optic jab is a great example because it's, it can be transported to African nations and developing world to actually help people with the COVID virus. And I think, mm. you know, Britain still does a lot of great stuff about it. There's a lot of stuff we should be happy. Having a new jab. I think it's nice. I think in some ways the combination linked to the old way with the National Front took over that and having it was wrong. Mm. And actually having pride in yourself and pride in your country is not actually a bad thing at all. So I think in some ways, like tapping into that is absolutely fantastic in the sense of that sense of self-pride. You see this in Canada or you see this around the world. People do actually have pride in themselves. Sure. And it's that community as well. It's unite and it's also because Britain has always been more of a tolerant country, I mean, people have come to the UK from around the world to escape persecution. Mm. Uh, I mean, Brick Lane was a great example where the French went, then you had the Jewish people come over, then the Asians come over, and then you had the Muslim community. I mean, and it's, as a result, Brick Lane architecture has got quite a lot of history in there because it's that constant change. And that what Britain great because it, it's a bit like America in a sense that it embraced stuff and it's tolerant. Mm. On the aspect of Labour, though, I think. Problem is, is that at some point, when people are saying Labour's doom, it's not doom. At some point, they will become the next government. They will formulate, it might be in five years, mostly 10 years' time. Mm. And the result is, is that both Labour, like the socialists and Democrat socialists, are fighting for control. Mm. So they want the whole party to be there because they want to be their platform. And instead of like almost compromising with each other and having a share thing, what you're sort of seeing behind the scene at the moment, the Labour Party, is they're fighting each other. Mm. And the thought of that means it's got a very weak opposition, so the government's not accountable for their actions, which is really damaging for us as democracy, because you still need to be accountable for your own actions. If, if dad or your parents make a decision, you need to make a decision accountable, you need to know where it's coming from, and it helps you as a person to hear those discussions. So you and I talking, yeah. it's great, 
because it allows us to understand where we come from and maybe we need to change our opinions. If there's no one challenging our outlook, then it, it's not helping. And for the late party, they're quite content to spend 10 years now fighting each other, mm. like you know, not winning elections, because they've got themselves sorted, they've got their jobs and their income sorted, so they're sorted. Yeah. And that's a parting, I imagine, for a lot of people, because if you want an opposition to the Conservative Party, you don't have that. Um, yeah. And this is why, you know, and the Conservative Party, you know, you know what they're going to spend the money on. You know, you know, so they're talking about the low, not the gender, uh, you know, increasing in the northern towns and so forth. Uh, to with that planning process, we can build housing because there's a housing prices at the moment. Yeah. And in Labour, it's like, oh, oh, you know, like, um, you know, identity politics and how so many stuff identifies and so forth. Now, I work on issues of equality, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like we said, people care about their children and their education and their health. And they don't care about people they don't know. And, and that shouldn't be your core message. And that's where Labour fails. It lacks any core beliefs. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're definitely tapping into something there. But I also think more more vitally for Labour, and I've, I've touched on this a couple of times in, in various videos, um, the, the real... Uh, existential issue that Labour have is this this sort of factionalism. So I I often go back to the period where UKIP were really starting to make a dent into the Tory Party, uh, and Cameron, for all his faults, knew exactly how to handle it, which was basically to start aping UKIP policy and to uh, commit to the Brexit referendum. Right. So UKIP were then. Uh, well, I, th I think at its peak, he was looking at 12 MPs were going to defect to UKIP uh, and he managed to save his, like, keep his party united. And uh, now we are where we are. But when it's a similar situation in the Labour Party where you've got the, the super progressive uh, wing of it and then the more sort of Blairite, um, like centre left uh, elements of the Labour Party, they don't seem there doesn't seem to be this this same mentality of like we have to rescue the party and all work together it seems like these these factions these parties within a party are actually quite content to pull the fucking thing apart and guarantee that the tories are, are kept in power for the next few years and there's there's a lot of admirable people who i think they would see it as they stick they're sticking to their guns. They've got principles and they can't sign up for somebody like Starmer because of X, Y, Z. Um, but I, I sort of look at it like you, you're looking at this so close mindedly. Like if you don't support the leader of the Labour Party, if you don't all unite together and support it as a, a broad entity for good that roughly reflects your values, <clears throat> then you're splitting the vote and then it's, you may as well vote Tory, right? Does that make sense? Or maybe am I am I being too harsh on them? Well, I think I think earlier you were saying to me, how can I support um, people like David Cameron, Boris Johnson, because you know I might have aspects I disagree with them, and I'm like, in some ways you may make an argument saying actually you still support your leaders and sometimes you don't agree with them. So I think you're almost like answer my own your own argument earlier. I think I think the problem that you have is there's an issue with the Labour Party is this. Society we live in is a society of small consistency. And the way that the UK political system has worked for the last you know, 800 years is it's small steps, it's baby steps. Mm. And you don't get everything you want at once. You have to do it piece by piece. 
And the problem with the democratic socialists was just a flare right? They recognised that, which is one they they won three elections because they recognised you can't piss off, you can't like, ignore the middle classes and people who pay all the taxes to pay all for the social projects you want to pay for. So they recognise you need to have you know work together as a collective, mm. and that's what vision politics has generally been most of the time. It's been you always need a centralist to get involved and vote for you, or you can't actually win anything because they're the ones who you know who make up the majority of society. And all you have on the socialists, it's, it's, it's this all or nothing thing. Mm. And, and, and it's so dismissive as well. So it's like the issues with factions. Like, like, you know, we can't stop judging people actions from 20 years ago on 2020 standards. Mm. I mean, you know, in, in 50 years' time, people might think, oh, my God, like, look at those people using you know, their pronouns or whatever they use now. They're like, oh, that was, that's our day. We, we, should, we should like get rid of their statue or we should like, take away their walls. Like, and, mm. and it's actually almost like, let's dismantle our own history and ignore what we've come before us. And it's actually, no one wants that. People are actually quite happy with history. I mean, a lot of people can learn from my history. I mean, the great example was one in Bristol where you know, they top of that statue. And then, of course, down the road, there's a museum about slavery and so forth and, and, and the history of the person. And it was just like, you know, you're, you're more about looking the part than actually what people give a shit about. Well, I think, um, to be fair to that scenario, there's a difference between a statue, which has connotations of, you know, you're celebrating this person's life. Um, you know, there's prestige to it. If somebody puts a statue of me up in Maidenhead, where I'm from, I'd be quite honoured. I'd be like, wow, okay, I must have done something good. Um, and and the fact that this person's history was uh, was so rooted in slavery, even if they did do a, a lot of good for Bristol, which it, it sounds like they did, right? Um, I'm sure they, they weren't all bad. But the fact that this person was celebrated with that kind of background and people had lobbied concerns about it, I think multiple occasions had said, look, we think this is actually quite insensitive. Is, isn't there someone else we can put a, a statue up? And all of these requests just fell on deaf ears. No, no responses. And so there's an argument there, I think, politically, broadly, outside of the social justice warrior movement, that when you do, when you ignore people's concerns in a in a sort of civil medium that you can't necessarily be surprised when they then take to an uncivil route, you know? I'm not sure I would have toppled the statue and pushed it in the thing, but I wasn't overly surprised by it. And I thought I thought all of this sort of protecting the statues nonsense was is is it's it's like what, but, but what the answer, fuck are we doing here? One, like it? spending millions protecting I, statues. But if I get your point out, firstly, we don't actually ignore our own history. We do actually have knowledge of our own history. I mean, you see in America at the moment, Republicans, they're like, let's just not talk about history because it's it's embarrassing mm. where you could actually open the book, you've got, the, you've got free internet, you've got free access information here. Like, we are very accountable. And this is the thing is people criticise, like, oh, like, the UK war record's really terrible. It's not like Russia's much better. Like, Russia just doesn't talk about, doesn't let you find out what they do. Yeah. Or sorry, that we're here. You are fully aware of where we fuck up, um, and I think it's important that people learn history, not not cancel, not, not hide away from that. On the aspect of the uh, strategy, yes, they did submit petitions to the council, but they didn't gather enough support to be successful. Right. And the argument people say is, is that if we are not successful, it doesn't mean that you can then create a violent mob to get rid of something. Because the danger is, is that you end up undoing democracy where. If you don't get what you want, if you just if you just tie something now, you just bypass the system. How's that? How is that fair? And this is the problem you have: is that 
you're right, there needs to be systems in place that people can change things, and there should be a democratic process for that to happen. Mm. But when you don't get your own way, that doesn't just mean then you just what you bypass a system, do it anyway, because then you're a democracy, you're then a dictatorship. Yeah, so I know that it's not, I know it's not the same thing, but if you look at a situation like Rodney King, you like you have to, you got to factor in the depth of feeling. And if people are so upset at the celebration of a slaver and they've asked several times if, if they can have some sort of conversation or switch it out for something, and then it appears like they're not being taken seriously, uh, then maybe the depth of feeling on... I mean, Rodden King is a very extreme example, but it's it's sort of like the nuts and the bolts of it are, are kind of similar in the sense that they wanted justice. Uh, justice was justice ignored them. And so then there were a lot of riots in L.A. and then eventually change did come. So it's not I don't know if it's as simple as saying, you know, if if the cookie but, crumbles but this way, co- then... we are a different country, don't we? We're a different country. Like we're we're the UK. We're not the US. It's a completely different culture. I know, but the nuts and the bolts of the yeah, like just, looking for justice, it being over. A UK example would be like uh, Jay Springer the Opera. Uh, you had you had like what two hundred thousand complaints from Christians mm. who are upset that Jay Springer the Opera was been live on BBC Two and argued, but it still went ahead mm. and so forth. But I think it's Britain is it's. You know, in America, they don't deal with issues very well. They're like, we have a short shooting, we regulate handguns. They have a score shooting, and they give guns to teachers and go, and then they understand what's going on. So the UK has a bit more of a modern response to, to policies here. And, you know, we change with times and so forth. The US doesn't. And the US, because it doesn't actually deal with issues very well, mm. ends up just, it ends up bullying up. Yeah. But you're right. As conservative, I'm not saying, no, we shouldn't have the discussions where people want to change, you know, if you want to remove a statue. Normally, what we're seeing these days is actually uh, the plaques are changing. They're actually giving more information about what's happening. It's, it's, it's remembering the history of our country, but it's not, it's like, um, like the British Empire. Like, yes, we did go to public countries and we changed the borders and we messed up, but we also brought in, you know, so, you know, we brought in electricity, we in schools, and education, and opportunity to like to healthcare and things that there, that wasn't there before. Mm. And it's about recognizing that it's not all bad, but it's not all good. It's not not to be this sort of, you know, we're not painting this perfect picture. Yeah. But it's about being honest about it. And I think that's just it upsets people. It's this sense of if we hide away from it and we ignore what actually what our life is about. Because any day as well, we're all fucked up in our lives. Mm. So you do have a statue about you and you've done amazing, great things. And then, you know, you did this podcast with me and, well, he did a podcast with a Tory and therefore he's a terrible person being down the statue. And you don't want to end up in a situation where you end up with go through, you could go through history and probably saw them every statue you have at some point when the morality of society has changed. So there's a danger of business when you start saying to do these things because you're then, you know... What what what's what's the end goal of this? Is this the end goal just to have a, a, all the statues to meet our own moral standards? Because well, I suppose you know... it's, it's one of these situations where like the the nuance of it is what's needed, uh, and yeah, like a grown up conversation and local political mechanisms that reflect the concerns and you know listening to various bits like the the unsexy solution to it is actually just to have slightly more inclusive local government where they listen to things and you know things are. Uh, voted on and responded to in a in a, a professional and courteous way um but yeah in lieu of that then 
what we actually get is the slightly more salacious uh sexy news story which is um you know slave owner statue is there and then angry mob pulls it down yeah and, 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 and <laughs> i think it's, it's not to deny you know i can see where the the arguments come from it and we can see where the anger came from that and so forth mm. and you know it's a bit like with britain like britain is very passive racist mm. i mean people go oh we're not racist here and we are but we're passive about this and, and have what have the way we use our language and so forth the problem is, though, is people start saying, oh, it's just like the US. No. And for what it has been internationally, it's a different country, it's a different culture. Like, we had the Equality Act, like, 10 years ago, and over there, they can't get those laws passed. And, you know, we actually never had slavery in the UK. The issue the UK had is that we invited the Commonwealth over to rebuild our country after war. We don't talk about that. Yeah. And then we don't understand that we never actually had a plan of when they were going to stay. So when they stayed, it was like, oh. And then... Although, I, and, and they want an education and they want to work hard and they've got their own careers. Oh, oh, and, and, and it's just never really been addressed. So you've got a situation where, you know, Britain, like, because the empire's gone. Mm. And I think, you know, some people, I mean, you get people go, oh, the empire's back now. And it's like, no, it's not. It's never going to come back. But it's that recognition. And I think sometimes with history, I think this is the thing, it's probably history should be taught better in schools. Because all, all we talk about is the Tudors, the war. Yeah. Uh, the second and the, and the Vikings we have, and the Romans, and I think it's a, a more broad range of our own history, and more mo- modern history as well, will probably help us all understand each other better in our own community as well. Because you know, Britain, like it, you know, it, it, it just sort of stopped at 1945, but actually, a lot has happened since 1945. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to see yeah. history kind of overhauled and taught in a in a. Um... Like, I think another country should write our history GCSE curriculum for us so that it's at least a little bit objective. Because all I remember from learning history at school was, like, how how great Britain is. Like, like I, I mean, I can't remember all of the intricacies of, like, the First World War or, uh, or yeah, like the Tudors or or even like Henry VIII, all that. But it's it's all around sort of, yeah, like regal stuff and it's all around... Um, yeah, the wars that we've won and there's no i don't remember ever being taught about slavery um I'd, i'm sure that we've done all kinds of awful shit over the the decades and centuries and i don't i don't remember being taught any of it so really? yeah like i just i think maybe it's due for an overhaul of course it could just be my memory um well i i, I don't want to imply that you're old asian um but and you, I mean, I remember talking about slavery and the Americans and and uh, different cultures and so forth. I think what we were taught, though, I remember having a history teacher, and he would remember how war is so awful, and actually you don't want the war, and actually peace is really important and so forth. And, and uh, it's always important to have those discussions because this is how awful we could get and so forth. So it gives you a percentage perspective. I'm not sure I'll ask another country for my, my own history because the problem is, is that... Um, you know, each country has their own ups and downs of ourselves and so forth. Um, but I think it's probably uh, a bit more of, um, I mean, the UK is, uh, is aware of the world around us. I mean, look at uh, international news or news in this country and in, around the world. Mm. It's always the international news first and then local news last. Where if you go to America, it's local news first. And then at the very end, it's, oh, yeah, and there's this, that we've just bombed another country. You know, but, you know, that doesn't matter. Yeah, so yeah. we are aware. 
I mean, and, and, and I think the thing is, implied somehow that we're not aware of our own society, but we're also proud, like we should be proud of who we are. And also the day as well, it's, it's also passing on that guilt. So it's, it's not you and I fault for slavery. We have no impact on that. So we did nothing to do that. Yeah. And I think what you see, you know, in, in America, it's just like, oh, people alive today are responsible for what's came before. And it's like, well, it isn't, you know, like, I am proud of being British and I'm proud of my country and so forth. Um, and I think that, 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 but, yeah. I think yeah. I'm I'm sort of broadly on board with that. I think there's there's a place for recognition and appreciation of uh of of how things came to be and what families were dragged over here and who made money out of it. Uh, and it does leave a slightly sour taste in my mouth if I find or read about somebody now whose entire life is privilege. Um, and it turns out that their family made their money from slavery. Like, uh, it's it's a bit like, well, no, you. Can, I mean, to what extent? Slavery, what extent can you blame somebody for being accidentally born into a family of great? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I will say there's a great book called I think it's called it's called it's called, it's called, it's called Black Britain, mm. and it's it's a, it's a really good book actually. Um, but it is like if you go to um, St. Tom Hospital in London, you've got Mary Seacolf, which is a famous woman, a famous nurse from the Crimea War, mm. um, who was a black Britain and so forth. And I think it's, it's probably just recognizing more of those black achievements within our country, um, and so forth. And that's important. Um, but it, it will get better. I mean, I mean, the thing I'll say though is, is we're po- I, I, I think, I think I, there's also an issue of modern slavery as well. So you know, we go buy clothes from Primark, that is made by slaves. Mm. The stuff we buy from Apple, the main China, that's made by slaves. So we're all criticising stuff, and we like to argue for boycotting things, but um, we'll never argue uh, for boycotting China, you know, they've got concentration camps in China with millions of Muslims. Yeah. And we're not going to criticise, we're not going to boycott Saudi Arabia uh, for bombing Yemen and so forth. Yeah, um, definitely... But then we might boycott another country, or, or boycott Cyprus, uh, Turkey, because of what they do in Cyprus. Yeah, so, there's, there's you know, definitely it... a place to, for, for, like, to, to make that case, to say, like, well, why are we obsessing over things that took place 100, 200, 300 years ago um, when there's legit problems going on in the world today that you could actually be... Yeah. It's a bit like when you meet people who rant and rail against... Um, their their own supposed oppression in the UK, and you think you like you've got it all right, <laughs> and then you you think well if you really want to go and rant and rail against that, please do move over to like one of these other countries where it's really fucking bad because you will actually make a dent maybe over there like you'll be you'll be heard you'll be really making a difference, um, but then I suppose it's all a little bit. It's a bit relative, isn't it? You know, if you have no experience of that weird, wonderful country that's incredibly oppressive over there and your only lived experiences yeah. in this country and the injustices that you've seen in here and to your friends, I suppose you you would focus on that more. I don't know. I'm sort of thinking out loud here a little bit. Um, well, I hope you think out loud. Otherwise, you'd be too quiet and meet. Um, <laughs> I think... I- you're right. I think the problem is, though, it's, it's about probably, like you said, it's good to know your history. It's good to learn history, meet history, and I love history myself. But I think the problem is people get a very wishy-washy view. I mean, like somebody sent me a meme today, 
and it was like, oh, the KKK couldn't assist without without the wives of, the, of our husbands. And I was like, I was like, you do realize it's the 1890s in America. The wives had very little power over what their husbands did or do, and and had no impact. You know, and they were that rise had the whole women's rights movements. And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't consider that. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, I love I love him, but the problem is, is that he just didn't actually he actually it completely passed him by that. You know, you can't drink. Things are not simple, um, and they're not like they're, they're not these right and wrong morality sort of thing. Like we all have these, you know, grey areas in our lives. And I think the problem is, is with the statues, is this idea that if someone isn't good, they are bad, and that's it. Mm. But the problem is with that with that mindset in society, everyone is bad. Everyone is on Santa's naughty list. Yeah, um, you're right. And you're never going to find anyone, anyone at all, who is good enough to be a statue. That is the problem. Because that is where you, that's where it's going to end up being, is that you're going to find faults in anyone you meet. And and you are fairly British society, but you'll find in any society, you'll find in your own family. Yeah. You know, you love these things, but you're going to have problems there somewhere. Yeah, people are more complicated than just binary good and, and bad. Yeah. Uh, and this is talking about politics is that you know instead of talking about issues about you know jobs the economy uh, uh, education we get bogged down on these sort of discussions which might you know nice to have a drink after make after after work go to the pub and have a drink about it mm. these aren't the core issues these are not the issues that people care about and it just pisses them off because they're actually all they think at the moment we're, we've just had a huge pandemic loads of people have lost their jobs you know, we've got the results of Brexit and, you know, and how we're going to go from there and how we're going to be innovative. Those are things important to people. Yeah. And we spend 20 minutes talking about statues, which doesn't really matter. No. Sorry. But, <laughs> but I uh, I don't know. I, I could talk about this, this stuff for hours, but um, unfortunately we are out of time, Irving. Um, but thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. This has been really cool. And uh, I hope if uh, if anyone's uh, been watching or listening that uh, our sort of reasonably mature and uh, grown up conversation is, uh, is is the first of many. And uh, uh, yeah, if you if you're free in a few weeks time, I'd love to get you back on and we can talk about whatever's happening that week uh, or we can pull the left and right apart a little bit more. Over, over a pint of beer and you have me. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much. Irving Anderson. Yeah.